Hello, welcome to Boss Women, a podcast about women, comedy, and business. My name's Katie, and this is my mum, Karen. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said. Mama said, Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, my Mama said. Hi, mum, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. What week is it now? <laughs> What? What, week, what week are we on of isolation? 52, it feels like. <laughs> At least week 52. I am going mad. I actually thought that the weather, we're in Scotland, just so mm-hmm. you know, and I thought the weather was good. So I put on a summer dress, sat outside and, you know, freezing. Really? Is it? Still cold up here. I think it's going to be nice this afternoon though. Oh yes, we say that every day. <laughs> well, I walk around my garden like a caged animal. Yeah. <laughs> But you're meant to say something to me now. Sorry, I'll say something to you now. <laughs> we have a new, another guest on. We have another I'm interview. Glad you're in a good mood. That's really good. What? <laughs> I'm glad you're in a good mood. I'm trying. I'm we aren't talking on Zoom, of course. So there's all this talking over each other, which is absolutely which we'll try and not do. Try uh, not. Who have we got today? Karen. Oh, I'm so excited. We have the absolutely lovely Rosie Jones, who is a stand-up comedian and a writer. She's written for Would I Lie to You, The Lost Leg, 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Count. The Lost Leg? <laughs> the Lost Leg. No, they found the it. Last... It is The Last Leg. <laughs> Adam Hills. Stop it now. Uh, 8 Out of 10 Cat does countdowns and she's also appeared on all of these shows and uh, Katie tells me that you've also written for Netflix Sex Education which is very very I love that series. Um, You debuted, I'm talking to you now, (laughs) you debuted at the Fringe in 2017 and we all met at uh, the Cat Laughs in Kilkenny last year which was lovely. So welcome Rosie Jones. Welcome. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. And I can't wait to be out of isolation <laughs> so <laughs> that the three of us can write <laughs> the lost leg. Yeah, exactly. We're going to write the lost leg. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> it, it sounds like an Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, can I tell you, Adam Hills has lost his leg many times here at the Gilded Balloon. At really? uh, late in five, he would regularly take his leg off. Yeah. So um, that's where he learned a lot of his comedy. And he's such a wonderful man. And yeah. uh, it's great yeah. that you're writing with them because you were at the Olympics. Yeah. So um, I worked on several series of the last leg, but my first episode was in Rio and usually they make one show a week Mm -hmm. but over there we were making one show a day so it really was a bad 
baptism of fire, but it was amazing. Yeah. I can imagine, real fabulous. Yeah. Um, so, um, so Katie's going back go, to back to the beginning. Let's not talk over each other, shall we? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, so before we get into your dazzling comedy career. <laughs> um, Let's take it right back. So obviously this is a podcast where um, I ask, I learn a lot of stuff from my mum and try and get as much knowledge out of her as possible. Um, so I want to go, to go back to your childhood and your upbringing. Uh, you're a Northern lass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was born and bred in a seaside town in East Yorkshire called Bridlington, which is great for children. Mm -hmm. I had a, an amazing childhood living a five minute walk from the beach yeah. and it's great for old people to retire <laughs> but in between 8 and 88 <laughs> no, no <laughs> not at all it's so boring yeah. and I worked out I didn't want to work in a trippy <laughs> and I didn't be a fisherman. <laughs> so there's not a lot more career options. Yeah. So I got out of there quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> But did you have an idyllic childhood then? Do you have fond memories of going to the beach with your parents and, you know? Yeah, yeah, but actually, you think about the beach and you think warm sandcastles swimming. No, <laughs> but not when you live there because when you're from there, in summer, it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. You avoid it at all costs. Cause everyone from West Yorkshire, so Leeds, Bradford, AKA the enemy. <laughs> if, if, if you're from East Yorkshire, you hate everyone <laughs> from West Yorkshire. Yeah. So they pile on, so you avoid it. My greatest memories growing up is going to the beach in winter. <laughs> so my greatest memories growing up is feeling freezing cold but walking down an empty beach, going to the harbour and getting hot donuts. Mm. For me, 
that was the greatest childhood yeah. memory. Yeah, that's beautiful. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I got a little brother called Oliver. He's five years younger, mm-hmm. and everyone says he's a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> Is he working in the business? That's the no, thing. No, <laughs> no. He's such a like hippie, such a modern day hippie. He's been traveling for mm-hmm. about five years. He's lived in New York and New Zealand, America, Tokyo, and he's currently li- wow. living in Italy. Oh, so you mm-hmm. said, I don't care, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> exactly, I would prove all of them wrong. So your your poor brother is in Italy in lockdown, in that isolation they're having. Yeah, so luckily he's living with his friend from school, who's also a teacher. Um, but actually, He's living the dream because he's still teaching the kids via Zoom and he's got all these hobbies that he's just spending time finally doing. So he's learning the piano, he's practicing the guitar, he's cooking, he makes a lot of Japanese food and he's even got into cartography, which is drawing maps. So yeah, he's having a great mm-hmm. time. <laughs> Are you your brother clothed, would you say? Yeah, yeah, because oh there's five years between us. Mm-hmm. So they never felt like there was any rivalry. I remember exactly when he was born. I was so happy. All I ever wanted was a little brother. So I feel like we've always been close and we've always had the same sense of humour. And because we're taking very different directions in life, 
with your sour mace that what each other's doing. He's like, oh gosh, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you're in Japan, <laughs> living the bloody dream. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, that's so sweet. But you miss him, I'm sure it sounds like you miss him. Yeah, yeah, I really do. But I feel like since he graduated, so four years, he's just been traveling the world. So now I'm used to it, and it's a bit like now, as long as we video chat every couple of weeks, as long as I can see him, it doesn't feel like there's a massive distance yeah. between us. Yeah, that's great. So tell us about your relationship with your mother and father. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry, everyone, <laughs> but I really do have a better parent. <laughs> I'll fight the... for it, Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, they've always been so great because I've been disabled all my life. My disability happened during birth. So this has always been me. People say to me, oh, you're not disabled you're rosy and I'm bloody stubborn and ambitious and I've never let it stand in my way and that's because of my mum and dad because they never said no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. They always made it so that if I wanted to do something, they would make it happen. Now, this is the only thing me and my mum disagree on. <laughs> Because I say that I am where I am in life because she's been there and just let me do anything. But she is adamant that she could not say or do anything. <laughs> has stopped me so she thinks it all came from me and all she had to do was say 
okay then. Yeah, <laughs> you do that. You go to London. But actually, I could only ever do that because I knew that if and when I did fall or stumble metaphorically and physically, <laughs> they would be there behind me always supporting me so yeah they're just amazing <laughs> do you do you remember your earliest memories were were your mum and dad there pushing you or behind when you were a toddler and when you were really wee yeah yeah they were and i think we managed in the early 90s as well communication between hospitals and even diagnosing me like i my mum and dad didn't hear the term cerebral palsy till I was free because nobody shut them down and exactly told them Mm -hmm. they knew they knew I was disabled because when other children my age were running round I was just sat in the corner, smiling, eating baked beans. They were always like, well, we know something's different, but actually, she's still happy. I mean, I don't know the intimate details, but I never felt like they were upset or they mourned mm-hmm. a child yeah. that they could have had because, like I say, I was always me mm-hmm. so the, I remember a big memory was when I was free and again this is the early 90s I think it was just a go-to to say oh our child is disabled so I got put in a disabled school, mm-hmm. but very quickly the teacher was like, no, mm-hmm. we, we can't deal with it, it's too bloody clever. <laughs> so, um, 
that's an indication of my mum and dad immediately were like, great, let's put her in a mainstream school. Brilliant. That must have been terrifying because actually I was a first disabled person to go to that primary school mm -hmm. but I feel like it always came from a place of well this is a batch for Rosie yeah. sure it might scare us but Let's make sure she's living the best yeah. life she yeah. can live and I feel like I've taken all of that onto my adult life. Mm -hmm. You yeah, have. Karen's got a similar story, don't you, about your son? Well, my son was was partially deaf, and he my was... My brother, your son. <laughs> my, my son, your brother, my son. Yeah. <laughs> and he was the first, and uh, well, physically, dis well, his hearing was so bad that he could only lip read, and they were going to send him to a school for the deaf, but they decided to put him into um, normal school, and that... Why did you keep the saying doctors, they? The doctors, the you know the, <laughs> the the National Health Service. I thought know? it was I thought it was your decision, Karen. Sorry. Well, it was my decision as well to put him into. I mean, they wanted to put him into a school for the deaf, but it was the best thing for him, absolutely. But I was going to say to you that you have such a sunny disposition that I think you have you inherited that from your mother and father. You think, or your mum, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I certainly, I think I'm a weird mix between my mum and dad, but don't tell my dad that. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like my better qualities are from my mum. Certainly, her sense of humour <laughs> is just completely my mum because mm. my dad isn't funny. <laughs> uh, but I think what I get from my mum the most is her work ethic. So she was a teacher and from a lot of my childhood she was an assistant head teacher and then a deputy head teacher. So she had such a demanding job and she went back to school when I was a baby and like I say, she was an amazing mum 
I never felt like she never had time for me. Like she was always, always, always there. Mm-hmm. But from a very young age, I knew that she had another life. Mm-hmm. She had demands that were bigger than me and bigger than being a mother. And I think that no time soon, but in the future, I do want children. I want to be a mum. And I think what my own mum taught me is just have a separate life mm-hmm. really strong working woman i mean i want to say now that great great women who are like they don't have jobs mm-hmm. away from being a mom but for me, I think if I was just a mum, mm. I would resent my kids. Yeah, yeah, I think it's and important I, to have that independence. It's so interesting because when me and my brother moved out and went to uni, my mum still had her life and her work. Yeah, yeah. And how did your relationship change as you got older? When you were a teenager, did you start rebelling? And like, how did that relationship change as you got older? I feel really boring. (laughs) No, you don't have to rebel. If you've always got on with them. I've always got on with my mum. Yeah. some fights, but not anything crazy. I never rebel, but also I feel like everything I wanted to do, they let me do it mm-hmm. because I feel like that would be when I rebelled if they didn't let me go to that party, but I always <laughs> And what about sex and stuff? I mean, could you talk to them about sex? It's that fascinating because no, <laughs> I never talk to them about sex, but I always knew I could. But that goes much deeper for mm. me because I knew when I felt I was gay as a teenager. But because of my disabilities, I didn't know how to handle Mm -hmm. being a teenager 
being disabled, one into being dependent, and on top of that, having hormones and feelings towards girls mm-hmm. that I thought I can't handle. <laughs> yeah, it seems, sounds like a lot. <laughs> but I feel, sorry, I was just going to say, I feel Katie's jump from you being this cute little child to you know, talking about your sex life. I haven't even seen her. W- Ask anyone else about their sex life. No, it's more no, about... No, I was going to say, I can imagine... You can talk about that, Katie. I can imagine that you use your personality and your comedy growing up at school. I'm sure you made all the kids laugh. And did you... I mean, that you used your comedy to get on. Yeah, I feel like... I wasn't a class clown. I was more the geek. <laughs> I didn't like getting told off. But I've always enjoyed the company of adults more than children because that's something else that my mum and dad did growing up. They never let me and my brother change their lives. And we didn't really have babysitters. So they weren't they wanted to go and get drunk with their friends. They would take us along. <laughs> we would chat to the adults until I felt tired. They would slap on a bit of anger <laughs> and they would like conk out on the sofa. <laughs> so I feel like at school I have friends, but my big my big concern was to get the work done and to be top of the class. But it was a weekend and evening when my parents' friends that I would be the joker. And that was where I feel like my social side and my comic side and my personality grew. It was being surrounded by adults from a very young age. Yeah, I was in a, exactly the same position. I was, mum would, I, I was, I'm now best friends with a lot of mum's friends because yeah. of it. I think it actually is really empowering and important and gives you confidence and, yeah. but I don't know if you have any opinion on that, Karen, if it was a purpose, that like you did it on purpose or whether. 
No, you didn't have any choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I wasn't going to stop my social life because of a child. <laughs> yeah, and also because exactly. of the business as well. You just brought me along whilst you were working. Yes. That shit show I think it's so good. Yeah, yeah. And that means from both sides, because my parents never really changed their lives. Mm -hmm. They never resented us mm -hmm. and they never felt like, oh, we don't have fun anymore because of their kids. Yeah. Really, we were... We are a family, but from a very young age, it felt like we were four friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So going back to sex, no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, the reason, the reason why I was talking about that is because Rosie was saying that she um, didn't rebel, but then I'm wondering how close you were with your parents and how comfortable you felt with them. And I'm not, um, uh, oh, I did have a question. And I You're not judging her, is that what you were about to say? No, I'm not, um, oh no, that's what I was going to get asked, is because you were friends with a lot of your parents' friends, older people, did you confide in them about being gay or your sex no. life? or No, so it's an interesting thing. So I didn't confide in anyone. Mm. because I didn't know myself. Yeah. <laughs> I had one conversation with my best friend when we were 18 and they said to me, I'm, I'm gay. He was gay. Mm -hmm. And I went, oh my God, amazing. And they went, you're gay too. <laughs> he told me I was. And I went, no, I'm not ready to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I never told my mum and dad about sex or boys or girls because there wasn't anything to tell them. Mm -hmm. But cut to when I did come out to them when um, I think I was... 26, I was really old. It helped. You weren't really old, but... <laughs> well, it is like coming out. Yeah. It felt old. Uh, but now I feel like the floodgates have opened. Uh, so now in terms of that side, I feel like I can talk to my mum especially about everything. Mm -hmm. But also I am very transparent. <laughs> so 
I'll start talking about a girl and my mum is you can say maybe yeah I feel like if if I was more truthful about sex with myself growing up, I could have been more truthful with them. So that was all in my head. Yeah. But it sounds to me that you were not taking your time, but you were yeah. you were learning. You were I mean yeah. you had disability, you had a lot to cope with. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and in order to, to get through all that and you know, you, your, your school work. And I think you've, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think 26 yeah. is fine. My yeah. son didn't leave home till he was 24. <laughs> <laughs> 26 is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ryan, it was when I was living in London. I had a good job in TV. I had good friends. Mm -hmm. I could finally go. Right, let's yeah. open that box. <laughs> yeah. So, so did, sorry, Katie, you no, 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 you you asked the question. Well, I'm going to ask about the next stage. So, what happened after school? Where did well, you that, go to university? That's where I was going. I was going yeah. into I university, did. and yeah. Yes, so in C. So, um, as I say. Bridlington was a great place to grow up, but by 18, I was like, I need to get out of it. <laughs> and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but English and writing have always been my biggest passion. Yeah. Even now, I say I'm a writer and a comedian mm. in that order. So I went to Huddersfield, which is in the enemy territory. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the enemy. <laughs> That's a wet Yorkshire and it was perfect because it was two hours away, so far enough, but it was a, a bigger town, but not a daunting city. And yeah, I made friends for life and it was the perfect step in between Bridlington and London. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved uni. Yeah, yeah. And then what happened after uni then? So was that a three-year course? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so um, had you had your sights on London? Or did you, were you wanting to go there for yeah, a long time? Yeah. I always, always wanted to end up in London, but a job wasn't my priority. 
I wanted to live in London because I love the theatre and I love musical theatre. So mm-hmm. any place that I could go to the theatre, I plan to go every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not do that now. Um, but so what uni, I feel like I was drawn to TV. Secretly, I wanted to write for TV. But I thought, for now, I'll get my foot in there. And I, it sounds ridiculous now, but I applied for one job. (laughs) Before I graduated, I thought, where do I want to work? I want to work for Channel 4. I applied for one Channel 4 job and I got it. Wow, well done. (laughs) Amazing. What was the job? What was that job? What was that job? Well, it's amazing and they still do it now. It's called a a production trainee diversity scheme. Mm-hmm. So for a whole range of diverse people and it's 10 people every year. And Channel 4 put them in a production company. So I worked for Objective, who at the time they made Peep Show, Fresh Meat, but then game shows like The Cube and Magic Showdown, mm-hmm. David Brown. Amazing. So in that year, I was a trainee researcher. So I got to work on comedy, entertainment, magic show and development. And then after the trainees game, for some reason, they lied to me. (laughs) So they kept me on and then I worked there for three, four, that was incredible. And you loved it. You were hooked. I, on it, I think that's what makes me quite fearless in my career now. Because my worst case scenario mm-hmm. in inverted comments. <laughs> It's my comedian career goes down the pan and I have 
to get a job back in TV because I really, really, really enjoyed it. But over time, there was a burning desire to see if I could make it as a writer and a comedian. But in the back of my head, I thought, I'll give it a go, and if it doesn't work out, not to worry, mm-hmm. I'll go back to telly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so tell us about that then. Tell us about your first time on stage. I mean, I was just going to say, interrupt and say Sorry. your stamina is incredible. I know, I mean, your drive. There's people that just don't have that kind of drive and they want mm. to do... It's amazing that you've done what you've done already and, you know, there's lots more to come. It's so bizarre because I do look back on times in my life like... So when I was about 26, I knew... When you came out? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're starting and I felt really sad because I wasn't writing anything. So then I did a post graduate diploma in comedy writing and producing on top of my job in telly. So for 18 months I was working in telly which isn't nine to five. More 8 a.m. to midnight, mm-hmm. and then I found that I can function on three hours sleep. Wow. So I was doing that, doing studio days, filming panel shows, writing for them going home and then writing my comedy assignments for the diploma. And I look back on it and I think, how did I do it? But I think at the time it was like, well, A, I want to be a writer. So I need to do this. And B, I need money to live. So I can't give my job up yet. And it sounds so arrogant, so arrogant. But there was something deep down that knew I would make it mm-hmm. and you would be a comedian. So that felt like something a judge had to do for a few years yeah. to make it. 
and then straight at the magic polymer. I then thought, right, I got the writing skills. Now I need to do stand up. So again, I still have my demanding telly job. But then on top of that, I will be going to God knows where <laughs> every evening for zero pounds. <laughs> but I just knew I had to put that work in and get that experience to because I could see, I could see the long term mm -hmm. and what that would do for me in, well, I thought in five, ten years, but actually one, two years. <laughs> but yeah. do you not... Have you not had to handle your health or look after your health? Does your mum not phone you and say, are you eating your greens? I don't know, I can imagine. <laughs> it's interesting. And I'm always worried about telling people this. But my mum, as I say, she's amazing. She's so great. She loves me so much. But she said to me in the best possible way, when I'm down in London, she does not and cannot think about me. When she does think about me, she goes, Rosie's there, she's happy. Mm. If she isn't happy, she would let me know. And yeah. she needs to do that for her own health. Yeah. Because if she starts going, where is she? Has she fallen over? Is she tired? she'll just get so caught up with yeah. that worry. Yeah. She just needs to put me in a box <laughs> and let me do it. Yeah, and she trusts you. She just yeah. has to trust yeah. you. Um, but in terms, I mean, I really worry about it, but in terms of my disability, I'm very, very lucky because I don't really get tired and I feel like I know my body so well now that I push it, but there are still days where I'm like, oh, I can't function and I get 
sure annoy that myself, but then I go, wait a minute, I got cerebral palsy. <laughs> how did I forget that? <laughs> but as long as I'm aware of that, and not now, because we're in the new normal now. Mm. So I'm feeling very healthy. But usually, when I'm writing and gigging every day, I just make sure that when I can sleep, I do. Mm -hmm. And luckily, that's working for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, I, you don't have to go regularly to the hospital or you don't have to... No. no you're not no, a study. You're not under a no. study. <laughs> and actually, I'm so, so, so lucky. And I don't think you can say that. <laughs> for a lot of disabilities, but what you see is literally what is wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Like a touch lower and I'm wobbly and that's it. Yeah. I don't have any internal problems. Yeah. Actually, I'm a, Incredibly fit. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, I want to go, but I just want to ask about that first time on stage. Were you quite comfortable on stage straight away because of your writing? You yeah. knew that your writing was strong, or was it still terrifying? It's so weird. It's so weird because I think going back to my childhood and spending my weekends around adults and also with my disability always using jokes to diffuse situations being on stage felt incredibly normal so my first, my first um, gig actually, I didn't plan on performing. I only went to an open mic gig to watch my friends. And apart from my friend, Everyone else was diabolical. It was an awful, awful, awful gig. There was like 10 people in the audience. And at the end, the MC, like, pleadingly said, um, does anyone else? <laughs> and now, now in my experience, 
and Shaofan comedy is in rough clubs and you know a lot of alcohol taken and there can be hecklers how on earth do you manage that how do you how do you cope with a heckler it's so interesting because when I was new hecklers terrified me mm. and I spent a lot of time writing comebacks to hecklers but in reality even Saturday night my favourite favourite gig I've done is Saturday night in Glasgow like that's when you're gonna get the <laughs> Actually, and I think it's because a lot of people are fundamentally good. They watch me and I make sure that I make that audience quickly for me. And um, (laughs) So because of that, I don't get hecklers because you got to be pretty brave mm-hmm. to heckle me. <laughs> so actually, if anything, I'd love to get more hecklers because I got a whole back. <laughs> Amazing. So then, sorry, carry on, Karen. Oh, it's your turn. Your turn. No, so you obviously started gigging, and then how long did it take until you started doing going into TV and like going back to the shows that you'd been working with before? Everything like matches into one mm. because I did my first Edinburgh. I did. 40 minutes, so not a proper show, mm-hmm. and that was 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't doing TV then, 
But then I got an acting job on Silent Witness, which is hilarious. <laughs> because I did, I did do A-level drama. So I have done it to a standard, but I hadn't acted for like seven, eight years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was my first telly job. So that was 2017. And then slowly they come in. So you do like one eight out of ten cats, one the last leg. But I probably only last year, only in 2019, that I felt like. Oh, I'm doing a few of these now, and I try not to retweet her mm-hmm. because it's for it's a such pit of morons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. But I got my favourite. Um, criticism the other day it said come on BBC is there any other comedian than Rosie Jones she's literally on everything (laughs) and I'm like I'll take that happy with that yeah exactly (laughs) Tell us about your. We're terrible, Um, I didn't really hear how you stopped your your television job and then take on full time writing and and performing stand up. Well, it did happen slowly, but I think my last job properly in telly was it July, July of 2018, <laughs> July 2018, I um, stopped it, I went to Edinburgh, I did my show. And, and that's the you got nominated? No, I haven't got nominated. Oh, for God's sake. I thought that um, you were nominated for Newcomer. No, but this is... Katie, get your facts straight. (laughs) I would assume. I I bloody love this because everyone thought I was nominated. (laughs) And everyone expected me Uh to get nominated. So when I didn't, I wasn't bothered. Uh And everyone else was so outraged. (laughs) People were talking about 
me not getting nominated uh-huh. more than they were talking about the people who were nominated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it should be. Yeah. Uh, and so what's next then, Rosie? What are you doing? Well, apart from you're in lockdown. Stuck, stuck <laughs> with my mum and dad. But I'm writing a lot. I'm I'm still a big writer. Mm -hmm. And my next big dream is sitcoms. Mm -hmm. So I currently got a few in development and I'm writing a children's book, which I'm so happy about because back, back, back when I was six years old and the teacher said, what do you want to be? I said, a children's writer. Really? So I feel like I'm living my six-year-old dream. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, post all of this apocalypse, <laughs> I'm having to develop my scripts more, get my book out there, and hopefully annoy more idiots on Twitter (laughs) by being on every single TV show. Yeah, yeah, great. (laughs) What's the the children's book called? Is it a... At the moment, it's just her main character's name. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, E.D. Eckhart. Mm. Cool. Eckhart. Eckhart. Is it for young children or six year olds? Yeah. So it. I call it the Jacqueline Wilson era. Yeah, Of the preteen. Yeah. Eleven, twelve year olds. Yeah, I think they actually need somebody else apart from Jacqueline Wilson to read. <laughs> you absolutely do. <laughs> you watch Jacqueline Wilson. She's very good, obviously. But so how, would, how are you finding quarantine? Are you okay? Yeah, I, I think with everyone, there's ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and I'm lucky in that my work has been a fact because mm. I was meant to go to Melbourne, I was meant to be working on the Tokyo Paralympics. I know, that's such a shame yeah. you can't go. Yeah. So in terms of my year, it's been thrown away. Mm-hmm. But luckily, as I say, I still get a lot of my work from writing. Mm. And that is something I can still do a lot 
down. Yeah. And so I'm trying to maintain a bit of a routine and like put work clothes on, yeah. work 10 to 6 every day. But yeah, some days I wake up and I go, what would I really be? Yeah, yeah. Of course, you weren't going to bring a show to the fringe because of the Tokyo Olympics. But yeah. are you thinking then, oh, the Tokyo Olympics will be on next year? Yeah, yeah. so they've been, you won't be able be, to come next year. Yeah, they're next uh, year. So I, I love planning <laughs> because my life is so crazy as long as I plan it's all right so I'm a bit annoyed because my plan was Tokyo this year Edinburgh next year yeah. That just means that it'll be Tokyo next year, Edinburgh the year after. Yeah, yeah, it's just put a bit of a delay on all of us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, now I have to ask you, um, Quarantine TV, have you watched Normal People yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my God, I absolutely love it. It's so good, isn't it? I love the pace of it. Because mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of TV needs to be action mm -hmm. every single minute. But this is paced beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. And all the... Two leads in it, Aaron. Unbelievable. I know. I'm following an Instagram account called Connell's Chain. <laughs> so <laughs> it's gone completely obsessed. <laughs> I'm just worried that as an older person, I don't get it. I, I've watched, I've only got up to episode three, and I keep thinking something terrible is going to happen. So, you know, I've just not got into it properly yet, but I will continue. Yeah, it's only 12 episodes. Don't think about what will happen, just enjoy every episode. <laughs> You'll love it. Well, um, uh, we, I would like to ask you what life lessons your Can mother... Can I ask one more question given... before that? Sorry. Oh, before Sorry. That. I'm going okay. to interrupt. What's your favourite musical theatre show? <laughs> <laughs> So I got a top three that always changes. Okay. Top three, top three. Top three, is Mitch Saigon and Hamilton. Oh my God, what a oh, mad mix of shows. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Miss Saigon or Les Mis, which is terrible. I've seen Les Mis. Yeah. And yeah, it just made me cry. <laughs> Yeah. It's so good. I know, I do need Although to I do keep going to say come from away. Mm -hmm. That's probably my current favourite. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. We haven't seen Hamilton yet. We desperately need to go and I see know. it. Right, can I come? Yeah. <laughs> But can I just say, when will that be? That's I know, the worry. Exactly. Oh, no. I know, these big I mean, it, it, that, we shouldn't, we can't really get into this, but it's so sad that there's yeah. so many performers that cannot get on stage. Yeah. It yeah. is just... And the big, you know, yeah, these big theatres are going to be closed for a long time, so it's a bit yeah. of a scary time. But we won't end on that, will we? <laughs> no, we'll, we'll end on your mother's life lessons, please. What life has <laughs> your mother given you and you would pass on to your daughter or son? I mean, uh, again, I don't want to end on it, so I will glaze over it very quickly. <laughs> but a few years ago, my mum got cancer right. and it was all, all alright, she came through it, she was like incredible, mm -hmm. incredible, like I knew she was strong before but that was unbelievable. Mm. And when she got over it, she seemed to be more positive. And my mum and dad have always been strong, but they seem stronger and closer and mm. they went on more holidays and did more things together and although the cancer year was truly truly horrible mm. actually it made us all appreciate life more and appreciate each other more mm -hmm. and she says everything happens for a reason and I feel like that's what she's taught me and it's a lesson that we can remember of living an off situation it's really sad but what are the positives we can all get out of it yeah 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 that's fab i was going to say snap because katie and i had the same situation a few years ago yeah two years um, ago was the cancer year for us yeah <laughs> yeah it, um we got through it and yeah, yeah I, I've always thought that, you know, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you better, makes yeah. you stronger, you know. Yeah, yeah it was so, incredible to see your strength during that time. It was yeah. absolutely yeah. inspiring. I mean, I would take it back in a heartbeat. Mm. It was awful, but what we learned from it, I, I don't know if I would be doing comedy because mm -hmm. it just let me know that 
You listen to her, you listen to what she's saying. But that's what I feel from this experience as well. Obviously, COVID has been a shock to everyone. And I think yeah. it's definitely teaching us to appreciate what we've got and, you know, live our lives when we can. And, you know, yeah, I think it's... Yeah. I would love to thank you so much for all your positivity, yeah. all your stamina, all your You're strength. Yeah. Uh, You're you inspiring. are an incredible, inspiring woman. Yeah. And I can't wait to see all the things you do in the future. Yeah. And let's go to Hamilton together. Together, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm